We were made to be courageous. We were made to lead the way. We could be the generation that finally breaks the chains. We were made to be Today, we're going to talk about uh, Elijah, and I'm calling this, this sermon, Following Faithfully. In a way, this is a really simple sermon, but sometimes that's what God, God blesses the most profoundly. It's not like the Bible's really hard to figure out. It was written for us so that the average person could understand it. And we're going to look at the simple things it says and how profound they can be in our life this morning. It's about following Jesus. That's what our life as Christians is about. Mark 1.17, he said this, come follow me. It's not about following people. It's not about following politicians or radio or TV talk show hosts. It's not about any of that. It's about following Jesus. That's what we are to do, to follow Jesus. Now, I would say that a lot of Christians who profess Christ with their mouth and they believe that Jesus is the way have trouble in their lives because even though they confess and profess Jesus, they don't follow Jesus. They know what the Word says sometimes and they say, well, but everybody sins and people make mistakes. And Well, here's the problem. Be sure your sins will find you out. We reap what we sow. And When we say, Jesus, we want to follow, and he says, the Bible is my love letter to you, and it's the way we need to follow. Because if we follow others, we we can get in a mess. We follow another way. And the other thing we can follow, we really have to be careful of, is following our own hearts. Because that's what the culture says, follow your heart. Well, the Bible says that the heart is desperately wicked, and who can understand it? So we we don't need to follow our hearts. We need to follow Jesus, because sometimes my heart hasn't wanted to do what Jesus wants me to do. But if I follow and I surrender, I'm blessed. Well, my mom, when she was um, about seven years old, was out at a bus stop. This was 65 years ago. With her friends in the Midwest. And they had just removed an outhouse. They'd taken the top portion of it away and just the hole and all the refuse was there by the bus stop. And some kids were running and jumping over that hole. And they were older kids and she thought, yeah, I'm I'm not doing that. And everybody said, do it, do it. And she said, no, I don't want to. And then they talked her little five-year-old brother to doing it, and he made it. And she felt all this pressure, and finally she said, okay, I know I can jump farther than Glenn can. So she ran, and she jumped too soon and fell right in the middle of the outhouse, the refuse, refuse rather, and the waste. And they pulled her out, and her mom came and got her, and her mom cleaned her up for half a day and gave her a lecture on don't jump over outhouse holes, you know. And... <laughs> She probably didn't need the lecture at that moment. She, she was getting it. But she, she did what others wanted her to do. And I, 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 this is the crux of the sermon today. If you follow others instead of God, you're going to end up in a mess. You are. And so we follow Jesus because he loves us. He didn't come to take away our fun. He came to take away our pain. And we're blessed when we follow him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit 
will do a great work among us. There's so many of us with uh, such vast, a vast array of circumstances and what's going on in our lives, and yet you know each one of us. You know what's going on. You love each one of us, and you're longing to speak to our hearts individually. And I pray, Lord, that you do your miraculous work, that though we're giving a corporate collective sermon here, that you'd take it to an individual heart and bless them as they hear the voice of your Holy Spirit speak with direction. Let it be, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. So we're gonna look at Elijah and his courage. Following God's plan takes courage. That's the first point today. We're gonna see it in Elijah's life. We live in a world where pretty quick... The pressure's on to, 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 to not speak of Jesus as the only way. Don't we see that in our culture? It takes courage to stand up in a setting, tell your own story about what Jesus has done for you, and say, I believe that according to the Bible, the word of God's true, that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and he's the only way to salvation. That takes some courage. And there are other things that we need to have courage about as we, as we move forward, because according to the word of God, Acts 4.12, he's the only way. So here's Elijah, the voice of the Lord, the prophet in those days. God would speak through a prophet and they would speak and declare his truth and people would hear it and the the prophets were a bigger deal in those days. Nowadays, God can give a gift of prophecy that all of us can have a a piece and a part of, uh, the, the manifestations of the Spirit. But here there was just one that he would push forward and it was Elijah, a great man of God. And he comes to a wicked king and he says this in verse 1. King Ahab, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there'll be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Now rain was a sign of God's blessing to these people in those days. The rain, if it didn't come, their crops didn't grow and they had famine and it was terrible. And the people of God, you can see it through the Old Testament, knew that if the rains came, it was the blessings of the Lord, and if they didn't come, then the Lord wasn't with them. So even the kings get this general idea, right? God is not really with you if the rains don't come. So when the servant of the Lord stands up, says to the wicked king, and by the way, his wife was Jezebel, you you know that terminology that's used sometimes still in our culture, they were as wicked as they come. Um, They would uh, sacrifice children to the God of Molech. And they would uh, do Baal worship in the temples and they'd have sexual rituals in the temples all as part of their religious worship. As wicked as, as it could get, they had led the nation there. So God sends the servant of the Lord into a place where there's a wicked king and queen who'll just kill everybody who gets in their way. Believe me, it took courage for Elijah to show up and say, God's not with you, the rain will not come not only this year, but for three years. That sounds like a suicide mission to me. But this dude is courageous, man. And he just steps up. And he speaks. He follows through with his assignment. Elijah's making it clear that Baal, who ironically was called the storm god, was really no god at all. That the one true god was speaking and they would see He was courageous, and he followed. Now, a question for us. Will we be courageous and follow? In a day and an hour where the name of Jesus isn't that popular, where standing up for truth isn't something that's that's too fun because you can get ridiculed. I, I watched a bit of a movie last night where they were just mocking Christian kids in high schools. I mean, it was so blatant. I thought, wow. 
Well, you know the pressure every time you see something like that, especially if you're a teenager, say, man, I'm not going to say anything because they they'll make me look like an idiot like that. You know one of the things about the Holy Spirit? We talk about the evidences of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you one that's mentioned as much as anything in Acts. When the Spirit of God showed up to fill the hearts of men and women, boldness came forward. Where's the boldness today? It's like we want everybody to like us so much that we'll just surrender any truth we have just for peace. Well, listen. Jesus said, I've come to set a father against a son. I've come that people might be saved and the truth must be shared or people aren't saved. And, and I believe that God would have his people be more courageous when it comes to things like following his word. It doesn't matter what other people do. We can't be responsible for other lives. But we read the Bible, we read it for ourselves, and we need to apply what we see the Lord speaking. It's not the same to confess Jesus as it is to follow him. So we read the word and we apply it to our lives. It says in Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light from my path. Psalm 119, 112, my heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Hmm. Do we really trust God's word? Because if we don't read it with the heart to apply it to our lives, we're not serious. If you really trust his word, then you know, you're, you, there's two things. You're in the word because you know it's, it's bread and it's food for your soul. It's God's love letter to us. It's, it keeps us on track and it shows us when we're off track and out of bounds and we, get, we come back and it's safety for the believer and it's blessing and it's covering. You cannot read the Bible without understanding that God blesses those who follow his ways. And his covering is not there in the same way when we just choose not to follow. Too many believers of Jesus Christ are not truly following the truth of his word and they may not even have a heart to do it. But when we do, when we're courageous enough to believe what it says, to live it out, we're blessed. When I was um, in high school in Dallas, Oregon, I had a friend that I loved. His name was Ryan. He was funny and fun, kind of a life of the party kind of guy. We're in Salem one day, and I, I hate to tell you this because it just dates me. I'm so old now. But we were buying music tapes, um, to listen to, you know. And um, as we were walking through, I think it was a Payless store, all of a sudden he says, stand right here. Just stand right there and don't move. And I, I didn't get it. And I said, what? And he goes, just stand right there. And I was standing there, but I was talking to him. I go, what? And then he put something down his pants, and I go, oh my gosh, he wants me to cover for him while he steals. And I said, hey, Ryan, I'm not doing this. He goes, no, just take a couple. Put them in your pocket, down your pants. I do it all the time. Nobody will see. I said, I'm not doing it, Ryan. And I walked out of the store. And um, I was waiting, and I was ticked. I was going to talk to him about putting me in that situation, but I didn't get a chance to because when he came out the store, two employees were right behind him. And they grabbed his arms, and uh, he said, oh, no, I don't have anything, but then they found the, the, the tapes on him, and the police came. They talked to me, and I said, hey, man, I walked out. I didn't want to have anything to do with it. They talked to Ryan, and <clears throat> his parents weren't available, so my dad came to pick us up. Uh, the police wouldn't let Ryan go until the preacher showed up. So then he, he not only has to listen to the, to the policeman, but he has to listen to Pastor Ray for a half an hour all the way home, you know. <clears throat> and, and, uh, but here's the deal. Ryan never followed. 
Ryan had a chance to follow God's ways and he did his own thing. And Ryan, whom I love dearly and Jesus loves dearly, has had a messed up life. A, a young man with great gifts, but he just wanted to do whatever he wanted to do and it hurt him. And he's, he's, had, a, he's had some tough times. Largely because of the decisions he's made. We ought to take responsibility for where we're at sometimes in life. It's true that, that, that there's a category of those who are sinned against that did nothing to bring about their pain, and that's a sermon for another day. But it's also true if we're really honest as Christians, we, we bring up a, a lot of our own pain with our decisions. And God loves us so much, he says, hey, follow me, trust me, get in my word, don't follow others, follow me, I am the way. There's an author named S.I. McMillan. In one of his books, he tells the story of a young woman who was applying for a prestigious college. And as she was filling out her application, her heart sank when she came to a portion of uh, that questionnaire that said, are you a leader? And she thought, oh no. And she's, you know, she was a conscientious um, young woman full of integrity, integrity so she read, wrote down, no, I'm, I'm not a leader. She thought for sure that she wouldn't get accepted to that school and her heart was deflated when she wrote it down. But to her surprise, a few weeks later, she got this letter. Dear applicant, a study of our application forms from our colleges reveals that we have 1,452 students who are leaders that are coming to our college this year. We're accepting your application because we feel it's imperative that we have at least one follower. So let's, let's flip it because uh, there's really only one leader and the rest of us are followers. And that leader is Jesus Christ. The, the goal of my life is to become more like Jesus every day. I'm, I get a little bit frustrated with myself sometimes. I'm, I'm shooting for that perfection thing and I can't quite get there. But he's so good and he's so loving. And God protects us so much and he cares for us so much that I, I just, I want to trust him and I want to follow him. And that's what he wants. He wants us to love him so much that we, we know it's safe and it's the best thing to follow him even if we have other reasons that something else might seem good for a moment or at the time like my friend Ryan was thinking. He was thinking he was going to get ahead just getting those tapes for a few moments but he, he really had a serious setback. Jesus said, come and follow me. Follow his truth, follow his word. You might say, well, it's hard for me to be courageous in those peer settings and even courageous to take the steps for the direction of life that God would have me to go, to let go of something that I have in my hands, to take hold of something that I, I don't know what it means. It's hard for me to be courageous that way. I love what the Lord said to his servants in Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. And when you're an obedient follower of the Lord, you get his blessing. And you can trust that he's not going to fail you. That it's going to be better, not worse. Yes, it takes courage, but he won't fail you. In our life groups this week, We'll look at additional examples of when people ask God for courage and he gave it to them. You might not have it in a moment. You can ask him for courage and he'll give it to you to follow his ways. He gives us the measure of whatever we may need 
to carry out His will. Second thought today, when you follow God faithfully, He protects and provides for you. 1 Kings 17, 2, the Lord said to Elijah, go to the east and hide by the Kareth brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside Kareth brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. Now, what you don't see in the text that you can see if you look around in the Bible, theologians think he was at the brook Kareth for about a year. It hadn't rained for six months already when he went before the king and said, there'll be another three years of drought, no rain whatsoever. And then God hides him out for a year at this region where he has, of all things, birds bringing him food. During that time, evidently, Jezebel is so ticked off, the people are realizing that God's not with them. So she puts out a decree, you can see it in 1 Chronicles 18.4, and she says, kill all the prophets of God. So now the prophets have to hide out in caves, and they're looking for Elijah, is probably what's going on, because they want to kill him. Because it's not raining, just the way he said, and they're ticked off. But the Lord has a special hiding place with these unusual servants that are feeding Elijah. I mean, think of it. Dude is told that ravens will come and he believes. Give the man of God credit for that one. I, I'm, not, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I would say, oh yeah, ravens are coming. Yeah, I mean, but he, but he did and they, and they served him. He believed. Credit to his faith. Here's the principle for us. The obedient servant of the Lord can always depend on his master's faithful care. The obedient servant of the Lord. So if you're a... Um, a teenager in the house and your family doesn't have a lot. Um, maybe you would even consider yourself poorer than, than other families and, and perhaps there's even at times you feel embarrassed. Let me talk to you. That was kind of me as a kid too in, in our home when my dad was preaching at a small church. But I gotta tell you, some of the greatest foundation building for my faith took place in a home where we didn't have much. You couldn't convince me that the Lord wouldn't take care of me and bless me somehow and help me. I don't have to have a lot, but here's what the Bible says. He'll meet my needs. And if you follow the Lord faithfully, you get promises from God that he will take care of you. And I remember over and over again when we didn't know when the next meal would, where the next meal would come from. There were times like that in, in my life, in our family's life, that we'd just gather and pray and food would come from somewhere. So what I got, and I thank God that my parents... Um, taught me how to pray in those circumstances and allowed me to see that I, I have a God who provides for me. He knows where I'm at and he loves me. And I just want to say to some parents, that is a great lesson in life too. And here we have the servant of the Lord who's living faithfully and his needs are being taken care of in the most unusual of ways because God's so creative. Sometimes he just does something so unusual, you know it has to be him, Right? Matthew, I'm sorry, Philippians 4.19, my God will use his wonderful riches in Christ Jesus to give you everything you need. Not everything you want, but everything you need. Psalm 84.11, no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. And blameless means a heart towards him to grow and become more like him every day. It doesn't mean never sins, but becoming more and more like him with that heart. 
He'll take care of you. When he cares for you, he will also give you seasons of rest. And I think the text uh, demands that we take a look at that for a moment. Elijah had some serious activity in his life working for the Lord before he went to the brook Kareth for that year. And a serious upping of the activity when he comes out of that season where he's a really busy guy. But in the season, he had rest and peace. Did you know the Lord will give you a season of rest at times? I feel it's necessary to say that to Americans because we feel like if we're not in a place of serious activity on a regular basis, that we're unproductive. And we don't even understand solitude. Um, there, 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 there's a real value in just getting away and thinking and talking to God and just being alone. And, but, but we just live in a world where it's, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, that's America, and it, it, can, it can be bad for us sometimes. Because the truth is, he's our provider, he's our provision, and he's our sustenance. And sometimes he's so loving, he'll just give you a season of rest. I had a brother say to me last year in this church that he'd been laid off for a year. And we're in another season where we're seeing the economy doesn't seem like it's going to come back very quick, does it? A lot of people have lost jobs. And I hope this is encouraging to you today that if you're a faithful follower of Jesus, he's got you. He's got you. Just keep moving, keep following, and keep your ear to him, and he'll take care of you. This brother was out of work for a year. And most people I see in that scenario, it seems like it's justified, but it's, it's not best, but it seems justified that they get worried and nervous so much so that uh, it, they can even get depressed. But this brother said, I asked him, How's it, how, how have you done in this time? And he said, it's been amazing. He said, it might be the best season of my life. I was so busy with everything else that I, 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 since I've been out of work, and he was looking all the time. He's a great worker. Since I've been out, I've reconnected with my wife in an amazing way. I've spent time with my kids that I haven't spent in years. It's been the best season of my life. I think sometimes God gives us a season of rest and we don't even recognize it as good. We just, we just say, uh, where are you? Why don't you love me? And he's got, I love you so much, I'm giving you rest. Would you just take it? I'll take care of you. I'll provide for you. He'll provide the rest you need. And he does it for a servant here for a whole year. Uh, I went on sabbatical five years ago. And uh, it's a little bit embarrassing to say uh, that I, I, I wasn't doing very well. You know, we went through a season of building here with this building and I led four financial campaigns in the community, the schools, and the church. Uh, we had the building of this, the development of the new high school, and so many first, and you know, people were selling homes and houses for this thing, and we couldn't even sure that it was going to happen, right? And we were all walking by faith, and I know he didn't just speak to me, but I carried the burden heavier than I should have. I don't think the Lord ever, but I cared about you so much, I didn't want to fail you, and I loved God, and I didn't want to fail him. And so I overworked. And God, in some way in sabbatical, was showing me, you know, overworking is not trusting in me as well. Because <laughs> I'm the one who builds the church. And you just, keep, just follow me. But I came out of this season, and you guys gave me a sabbatical, and it was incredible. A hu- over 100 days of sabbatical. And I had no idea I needed it as badly as I, as I did. But emotionally, I was completely drained. And I got on this sabbatical and I was surprised what the Lord was teaching me. And I, again, I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, but it's true. I think I was carrying too much of a performance mentality with my relationship with the Lord. That I wanted to do good things for him so he'd be pleased with me. 
I wanted to do good things so you'd be pleased with me. And so I worked hard. And I got on sabbatical, and of all things, what the Lord started to teach me was that I didn't have to do anything for him to love me. He already loved me as much as he could. These may seem like small things to you, but one of the first things that happened is we headed to California to see some family, and it was just Karen and I on this trip, and we were in southern Oregon near Rogue River, and I said, let's pull over, honey, and have lunch. We'd packed a lunch and see if we can find a good spot. We couldn't find a park, and I just said, Lord, give us a good spot, and I pulled up to this spot where there was hardly any bank on the river and I peered over the edge because it was a sharp decline from the road. And right there was this beautiful setting with a picnic table and green shrubbery all around it right on the river. And Karen and I went down there and we're sitting there and it was just an unbelievable moment. No one's around, just the river. And I feel like the Lord just spoke to my heart and said, I did this for you. I just want to give you this spot today. I'm not even sure that spot's there. I don't know. It was weird because it's... But I know God gave us that moment. And it, it sounds silly, but listen to me. Don't you love your kids? Good parents, don't you love your kids? Don't you like to do good things for them? Don't you? He's better than us. And then other things started happening. I remember there's a fella in the area didn't even go to our church, and he said, hey, I heard you're going on sabbatical. I have a house in Hawaii. Would you like to use it. I'll give it to you for a week. And I said, let me pray about that. Sure. <laughs> so we go, and when we get there, we had, you know, airlines, we had miles on our visa, so the whole trip was almost for free, man. It was just unbelievable. I felt like the Lord was just blessing us. And um, when we pull up to the house, I mean, it's not only a house, it is a mansion. It is a multi-million dollar place with a 30-foot glass wall that opens up to the outdoor pool that's just for the house. We were there a couple hours and my son Aaron, who was 17 at the time, said, Dad, I feel like at any moment someone's going to come in and say, I'm sorry, you're not supposed to be here. You have to leave. (laughs) It was just so cool, you know. God loves me so much he gave me a house. Only a week, but still, I had the house for a week, right? And I felt him speaking to me, I, you don't have to do things for me to love you. I just want to bless you. And I felt him saying, I'm blessing you during this season to show you that I care. You don't have to do anything for me. And then we were out on an excursion one of the days in Hawaii and this guy said, listen, right over there, if you'll come out there tomorrow at 9 a.m., I think was the time, the wild dolphins come in uh, almost every morning. I can't guarantee it. The season's coming to a close, but they'll be right there. You got a good chance if you go there. So Karen and I thought, Let's try it. So we drove 17 miles back to that spot. And we had our snorkeling gear on with the kids and we swam out there. And we're just sitting there not seeing anything and all of a sudden, whew, here comes, I don't know what they are, a pod, a herd, a bunch of them. That's what it was. And <laughs> they start swimming. There must have been 60 or 80 dolphins. And he had told us, don't reach out to try to touch them because if you do, they'll go away. But if you'll just stay still, they'll come in very close. So we, we remembered that. We stayed still and they just came feet around us, circling us. They were playing with leaves and, you know, this little game and we're watching. I'm thinking, unbelievable. And then I see a mama and a baby dolphin. This baby dolphin was the cutest thing I've ever seen, about this long. And I wa- we had watched them swim, but now they're coming from the bottom and they're coming up fast like this and I say, oh my gosh, he's gonna jump. So I lift my head up just before this baby dolphin shoots out of the water. It must it looked like 15 feet high and does a 1080 and splats on the water 10 feet in front of me. And I'm thinking, this is awesome. 
And I felt the Lord say to me, I just gave you that moment. I mean, he was just whispering little, they're just little things, right? But he loves me and he loves you and he gives us moments. And I'm not a new age, you know, rainbow dolphin guy, but somehow he was, he was just telling me along the way, I care about you. Sometimes he just wants us to rest and know that we're loved. And I think some of you today need to just take that rest. Maybe you're in a season of rest. It's just great when we stop striving and just let him wrap his arms of love around us. I don't think I've been the same. I never, I never blame it on myself anymore if it's not going right. And I always used to blame it on myself. I mean, I can hold a piece of something that can get better for sure. This is God's deal, right? We're just, we're just getting behind him and following. That's what we're doing. He's leading the way. You can see his heart in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We can rest in him. He'll provide resources. I had this thought as I was studying. You're never without when Jesus is within you. The master of the universe, as the Bible says, owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything is his. If he wants to give a house to his servant for a week, he just does. If he wants to bring resources into a man or woman of God's hand that they might bless the world and the poor of the world and build his church, he just does. Everything is his. A trillion dollars is the same as a penny to him. It's just as easy for him to provide. He owns everything. And if he is within you, if the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings is in you, you have no lack of resources. You may be without for this moment. That's where Elijah was too. Every day he was dependent on the Lord bringing something. But you're his. And he's got you, Matthew 6, 31. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers but your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. Now we're back to obedience there too. And he will give you everything you need. Not everything you want, but everything you need. We have a lot more wants than we should have in America. But he'll give us everything that we need. And then thirdly, just a thought here. There comes a time when God calls you to go to the next chapter of your journey. Sometimes it's a surprise because you've gotten comfortable where you're at. And it doesn't necessarily mean another location like it does in this, but it might mean another direction in your life in the same location. But your life is a journey, right? God is weaving a tapestry. You're in the middle chapters of this book that is your life. And the next chapter holds some surprises sometimes. The key to it is just moving when he says to move and trusting him and going. No matter where you are or who you are, he has something for you to do. That doesn't sound very profound, but I want to say it again because I think it's for some people here. No matter where you're at right now or who you are, you may think you're not much. He has, he has a plan for something for you to do. Just trust that. Just keep your hand in his and keep moving forward with him and listen, have an ear to his direction and then follow. 1 Kings 17, 7 Talks about Elijah at this brook. He's been there for a year. After a while, the brook dried up for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Seraphath, 
near the city of Sidon. Now that doesn't look like a big deal, but that's Jezebel's area. <laughs> so it takes a little courage to make this move too, because he's coming out of a safe place right out into the open again when they're looking to kill him. God says, I've instructed a widow there to feed you. We'll talk about that next week. I'm really excited about that sermon about the cruise of oil. The Lord usually leads his faithful people a step at a time. Again, as Americans, we want to go from here to the end right now. We want instant success. We need to stop thinking about success and start thinking about significance. Because what, what, what one person's definition is of success might not be significant to God at all. But when we, when we follow God, we do things like significant, like helping the poor and reaching out to our neighbors and sharing God's love and opening our hearts to whatever he would have us to do for his purposes. Taking his joy and making that joy known to others. But it's a step at a time with God. God didn't give him the next three years in a plan. Okay, be honest with me, you're not in trouble. I didn't used to be a planner, but I can hardly go on a vacation now without thinking how I'm gonna roll out that day and having 10 steps, you know? Something weird has happened to me. I have to say stop to myself sometimes. How many of you like to plan your way? Be honest, because that's, that's kind of where I'm at at times. Okay, we're especially vulnerable here <laughs> because we want the next three years, we're gonna roll it out and we're gonna do it. And I'm, you know, it's good to have goals and success, all that. I'm not even fighting about that. I'm just telling you, he'll give it to you quite often a step at a time. You don't know what the big deal is, but you know the next step. And you know my definition of faith, those of you who have been here for a long time, right foot, left foot in the direction that God's calling you. Right foot, left foot, one step at a time. And he might take you here, and then he might say this way, right foot, left foot. It's one step at a time. And he gave it to Elijah, one thing. Go to this city where there's a widow. She's gonna feed you. And he does. He doesn't worry about Jezebel in the area. He just follows the Lord. And there comes a time where he calls you to go and you might be a little afraid. Here's the deal about the brook Kareth. Maybe it wasn't much, but he had his food every day and he had his water. And the brook dried up. Do you know sometimes God will dry up the brook to get you on a move to where he wants you to go? He will. Was Elijah a sinner and so God, the, the brook dried up? No. He's the man of God. Was God upset at him for anything? No, it was just time to move. And sometimes things will dry up because God says this way. I like what Warren Worsby said. It was a reminder for Elijah to trust the Lord and not the brook. He'll give you seasons to learn and seasons of rest and seasons where you can hear, but then he'll speak and when he does, if we're following faithfully, we move. Doesn't matter what other people say. We have to overcome the voices sometimes. But I believe that he'll give us direction and we go. He has something specific in his mind to bring glory to his name through your life. The drought grew worse. The brook dried up. The prophet was without water now, but he didn't make a move until the word of the Lord came to tell him what to do. We need to live our lives more that way. When things are drying up to say, Lord, what are you doing? What are you saying? 
I believe in seasons of fasting and prayer and times like that because we just want our ear to his about what's this mean? I know that there have been people who've had things shut down that were their dreams, but God rerouted them to something that was amazing. We saw one last night with Carl Ralston and Remember New, who we had here last year. Carl was a very successful businessman into his 50s, and God spoke to him about a little girl that was on a video, in a missionary video, that had been sold into slavery, and the missionary said her name was New, and we don't know where she's at. She was was sold into sexual trafficking. And God spoke to him and said, remember new, remember new. He searched for her six times with his wife going to Cambodia. He found her and now new has become a believer and there, there, there's over a dozen homes in Asia now to rescue these girls that new and Carl and Lori, his wife, were building. He was on track with his life in his 50s doing awesome business. And God spoke and said, different direction. And unbelievable things have happened. He'll speak. And when he does, just go. Just, just, just go the direction he says. I want to just wrap this up talking to you about a servant of the Lord that I love so much. My, my heart saddened because he passed away recently. He was 92. You can put that picture up. This is Al Davis, who was the pastor at Dallas Assembly of God for nearly 20 years. Karen, um, my wife, was uh, born in this church and Pastor Al there um, baptized her and her twin sister when they were just babies, uh, dedicated them when they were babies rather and baptized them when they were children. Faithful man of God. Um, he died just about a month ago and um, I knew he was coming to the end of his life and I, he, he's loved me and loved my family so much I just wanted to go see him. And so two or three times in the last uh, several months, I just went to his little mobile home and sat at his feet, told him how much I loved him and what he meant to me because he was an encouragement all the way through ministry. He was, be- he was encouraging me that day. I really think that young people miss this these days, that, man, there's so much wisdom and grace and so much of God in older people. If we could just come alongside him and just reach out and let them pour into our lives. There's blessing there. I'm telling you, I, I, I experienced it here. The last time I saw him, I just told him how much I loved him and um, what he meant to me. And I, I knelt at his feet along with another brother that went with me and I asked him to pray for me. <laughs> I, it was just weird, but I asked for a, a mantle transfer that this love of God in this man for so many years touched so many lives I want some of that uh, he came to a hard place where he was looking about next direction anybody notice there's no mom in there no wife he's there for several years pastoring and um, a tragic accident happens on the roads just outside of that city of Dallas and His wife is killed in a car accident with her children in the car watching. They survived, but she did not. And when I sat with him one time, he told me the story of of the loss of his wife. And he said shortly after evening, the kids are in bed and he walked out underneath the stars in his backyard. He said, God, I... I can't keep pastoring this church. It's too much. I'm too broken. 
they need somebody who can be strong for them and I'm so weak right now. And uh, he said, he's only heard the Lord's voice audibly once and this was the time. He said, he heard a voice say, son, I want you to stay. I can help you. I'm going to help you. I'm gonna bless your life and I'm gonna bless this church. I want you to stay. So here's a guy saying, Lord, what's next step? And he hopes it's away because he's hurting too much. But God says, it's it's same, same direction, go forward. So for four years, he lived his life as a pastor in this church, a single dad. Church rallied around him, just a great group of people. Loved him, was there to help him with the kids. And then in time, he met a wonderful lady, Mary Lou, who's our friends. I think he was married to her for over 40 years. God blessed his life. His children are all in the ministry, just awesome people. That church, he stayed, remember, has had 30, I'm, I'm just going off the top of my head, 30 or 40 young people who went into the ministry. I don't know of another church in Oregon, and I've been most to, the, to most of the Assemblies of God, there are 200 of them. I don't know another church that's had the impact that that church has had to put people into the ministry. That's because a guy trusted God when he said, stay. Al Davis is one of my heroes. He followed faithfully. And you know what he got to hear? And th- th- this is the goal gang. We, we want to get there someday. We want to see him face to face like Pastor Al Davis has, and we want to hear him say these words, Matthew 25, 21, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness.